Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We talk to former Formula One car designer Sergio Rinland, who has a radical idea for F1's aero rules. Today's guest has vast experience in Formula One, having worked for Brabham, Benetton, Williams, Ram, Sauber, Arrows, among others, during his long career. He's also someone with some very strong and engaging ideas about what Formula One should do with its technical regulations. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and I'm joined by Sergio Rinland. Now, first, what what are you up to these days? Oh, hello. Um, Well, I work as a consultant, and for the last few years I've been concentrated in simulation and electric and hybrid vehicles in motorsport and in non-motorsport applications as well so that's that's what i do currently yeah so that's a good sort of growth growth area i guess a lot of money uh, yeah it's there. a very sort of is is what i emphasized about 10 years ago when i started with this um i saw it as the future well now we are in the present and uh, i'm glad that i took that direction because that's where the automotive industry is going 
But also joining me is our technical editor, Jake Boxall-Legg. Now, isn't Sergio a former lecturer of yours? He is, yeah. So I went to Oxford Brookes University and uh, Sergio was a lecturer of mine. It was lap time simulation was the module? Yes, lap time simulation, yes. Yeah, uh, which was a very engaging module and Sergio had a lot of stories to share. So obviously it was worth getting up at God knows what time on a Friday morning to go to them. So you did turn up, you did take notes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if Sergio remembers that, but... <laughs> yeah, 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 no, of course I remember, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, certainly, uh, it means you're both well qualified for this discussion. Well, let's get on with it and look at F1 specifically. Now, Sergio, there's a there's a, a plan in place, the rules are, are out for 2019, certainly some significant but not that far-reaching changes. And then there's the 2021 rules, which those are kind of drawing on there, some of the sort of early introduction of some of the 2021 uh, moves to primarily focused on trying to make the cars easier to follow, uh, reduce the turbulent air impact. So to start with, what do you make of what we're seeing for 19? It's still far of what it needs to be, in my opinion. Well, the positive thing, Sergio, at least, is that particularly when we're looking towards 2021, this is at least based in research. There has been work gone into producing these rather than it being a best guess and there has been some effort put into trying to understand the consequences of that and the knock-on effect so you don't get an unintended consequence like a move towards outwash that creates its whole range of problems so I guess in terms of the methodology this is better than what we've seen in the past. Oh absolutely I mean uh, I remember having this idea of having a virtual team to design the regulations like 10 or 15 years ago um, when I've just left Formula One and uh, I was told that the FIA never had the money to do it. It was too expensive and they couldn't afford it, which for me was a little bit of a joke. But uh, um, the idea was there to create this virtual team with the whole technical um, capabilities of a Formula One team with people who has been in Formula One up until not long ago. So they know the problem and they think like the Formula One designers and the Formula One engineers, so they will be able to maybe preempt the consequences of rule changes, and they are completely independent, so they haven't got any sort of preconceived ideas or they don't have any hidden agenda of what do I do to benefit me, which is the problem of the technical working groups. You know, everybody is holding their cards close to the chest and trying to sort of um, have have a have a go at an advantage for themselves. So this team is fantastic. I mean, this is a really good idea, and uh, we'll see the first the first uh, result next year. Yeah, I think that's the, the important thing is not to judge too much purely by next year, but as long as there's a a, a move in the right if direction, it's a step in the right direction. Then it's positive. Twenty twenty one is is a different thing. We got a little bit more time for that, and um, that needs to be a big step. Well, 2021 is interesting, isn't it? Because we don't have written rules. There are draft rules being bandied around um, at the moment, but there's nothing out in the public. So, Jake, what do we actually know about 2021? Not a whole lot, as you've just said. Um, It's going to be a continuation of what they've brought in for 2019. Just, I expect the first the couple of seasons under these new rules they'll have a general idea of what there is to expect, what more can be done. Uh, We know that as part of the general technical package, um, the FIA and Formula One want a new set of engines that dispenses with components like the MGUK, which 
you know many people well, an guh rather uh, that many people see as perhaps an expense that isn't necessarily worth it for road relevance or anything like that so there is that discussion it's just at the moment teams are playing hardball a little bit on that kind of thing engine manufacturers don't necessarily want to shell out for another new set of uh regulations when things have just changed since 2014 and people are still spending a lot of money on the current engines so we don't know a lot and it's still in discussion but hopefully we'll see something you know the 2019 regulations but bigger and better really and of course it's all connected there's attempts to cut back cost cost capping this kind of thing there so there's there's lots of different things feeding into it in, in, for 2021 yes obviously the uh, the powertrain is is a big expense uh, so is aero development and one of the things which i've been advocating over the years was that now we have the technology to regulate the outcomes instead of regulating how to get there mm-hmm. and uh, we've seen a little bit of that in the lmp1 rules the new lmp1 rules for 2021 that they're going to regulate the outcome basically they're going to control the amount of downforce that the car can generate um, by measuring the measuring the cars um, uh, virtually, CFD with the design, and that's what we've been advocating for many years now. Um, and if Formula One goes in that direction, that's good because that will uh, inherently save money. Because if you regulate how much downforce you can have, once you reach that, is uh, you you just you just the the research gets sort of more the the, the 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 results are not that great for the expense so that will reduce the costs that way of regulating the other one is that we want to see close racing yeah not necessarily overtaking i'm not in favor of the current drs for overtaking because it doesn't do anything for close racing on the contrary you know, he, he avoids close racing. Yeah, well, as soon as you open the DRS, you make sure you get away from the other car as, as, as fast as possible. So um, what we want to see is close racing. As, as a racing fan, we want to see close racing. You know, people fighting with each other. Not necessarily overtaking them. That depends on the, on the skills of the drivers, but not of the technology of the car. The technology car should allow them to be close to each other. Then it's up to them. Well, the... The kind of total downforce proposal is an interesting one. So to dig a little bit into that, how would you set that level? How are you going to measure and police the the overall load? Because as well as checking what the car should theoretically have, you kind of you want spot checks and that kind of thing. I know there's there's load data that that is generated in real time, so I guess that's fairly easy to check. So how do you how do you decide where to set that level? What's the correct well load level for a that we have the tools today and that's what you study at university which is with simulation we can now very accurately simulate so what we need to decide or what the the the, 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 let's say the powers to be needs to decide is what lap time they want to achieve what speed they want to achieve in the straights and then set the car up for that particular need yeah, for that attribute, which is this, the, the top speed and the lap time. Once that is set, then you can adjust and you can design the car for that level of downforce, that level of power, that technology in the tires, and you mix all the technologies virtually until you achieve that target. 
Once you achieve the target, you get your level of downforce. That's the first step. The second step is how do you measure it? What you do is you, at the moment, every um, technical director, every time they have a new idea, they go to uh, Charlie or they go to um, FOM and they said, oh, we, we got this new device. What do you think of this? And so they are aware of every single design of the car. So the next step would be to homologate your design. You finish your design, you got all your, your 3D in CAD, you test it in, in CFD, you get a set of downforce, which is the regulated downforce, and you said to the FAA, okay, this is my, my car, yeah, please homologate that. And then there are the tools today to actually read and measure the cars to see if they match the drawings that they homologated. So the, the Thursday or the Wednesday and Thursday scrutineering, instead of being measuring with a ruler and a tape, yeah, as they, they still, or template as they still do today, uh, you've got scanners. They do it in NASCAR. You know, they've been doing it in NASCAR for quite a while. So you scan the car and you know exactly that from the outside is what is being homologated. And then obviously you can check all the small details um, comparing with the drawings. So I think it's, it's, it's possible to do. I guess you could connect that to things people have suggested, like limited number of homologations through a year. So you could exactly. every four races, for example, just well, you homologate two cars in a year. Or so, so locked for the whole year. Yeah, and and then that will reduce the cost again dramatically. But of know? course, I guess the counter argument there is, although it will reduce the cost, it will eliminate a chance for you know total downforce load is one thing, but you also let's say you've got a problem with stalling or you know any number of these problems that could mean that. It's not working. How do you then fix it? Because you, as a designer, wouldn't want you to be fi- lumbered with that for a year. You fix it in the next in the next iteration. Exactly. It puts a lot of pressure on the designer to get it right first thing, the first time when you homologate the car. And if you let's say the FIA set up a, a let's say um, a CFD package that is common to everybody in the sense that not that you could develop the, your car with that, but we give you this virtual wind tunnel. You need to test the car here, and it needs to do this, that, and the other hmm? in terms of aerodynamic characteristics. Yeah, you need that amount of downforce and drag, straight line with this right head, in yaw, in roll, and so on. So you set the parameters, yeah, and the teams have to accommodate to those parameters. Is Then they have other problems that they couldn't see while they were homologating the car and where they were designing, well, you have to, I mean, that, that's what you got today. That's where you got difference between the front, the front row and the last row. It's people that got it right and people that got it wrong. And they can't solve it from one race to the next. Particularly the one that got it wrong is because maybe they don't have the resources or the money to do it properly and they still don't have the money and the resources to solve it quickly. So it takes a while, it takes half a year to solve a problem like you just mentioned. So if you have two or three packages in a year, you reduce the cost. Yeah. And if Formula One still have the revenue it's got today and you reduce the cost, then it's more money for everybody and for motorsport. What do you make of that idea, Jake? Uh, it sounds pretty good to me, to be honest with you. Um, I've always been a big fan of cost caps and things like that. It's just... I've always wondered how you would kind of audit that Um, because, I don't know, you could theoretically say this company 
you have a cost cap of, I don't know, $100 million a year, say, oh, Ferrari have spent that, but then they outsource something to another company and that doesn't fall under the expenses, for example. But if there is some kind of technical limitation to that, then you know that teams aren't going to be spending above and beyond because there's no real tangible benefit to it. So, yeah, it certainly could be workable and certainly would be very, very interesting to see something like that. I mean, it's a, it's a similar philosophy of limiting the amount of engines and the amount of gearboxes you have. If you've got a problem with your engine, I mean, particularly, we have the current um, regulations yeah, that only one team the first year got it right with an MG, with a MGUH, and that was Mercedes. Everybody else got it wrong or didn't see or didn't read in between the lines like Mercedes did. Well, they couldn't solve that problem. There are some still trying to solve it today, four years later. So aero is, is easier to solve in a way, in inverted commas, than the technology of, a, of, a, of an engine. But still, you see that problem. I mean, if you have a gearbox that needs to last so many races... Yeah, and you've got a reliability problem and you need to change the gearbox more often or you've got a problem, that's the regulation. So we're just adding one more aspect to the same kind of philosophy, which is limiting the amount of components that you can make. And certainly the, the appeal of something like a an overall downforce budget, if you want to look at it that way, I... In a general principle, I quite like the idea of rules that create the conditions to lead on to, to what you want rather than trying to be really prescriptive because we've seen the, yeah. the rules get more and more detailed. You're trying to kind of deal with it piecemeal rather than with a, a what it might be called a global move. So exactly. if, if, it's, if it's enforceable and... Well, then you could have cars that actually look different. Hmm. Well, you could open up the aero rules as a result, couldn't you? Well, that's, yeah, of that's course. Your one. Because if you regulate the, 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 the aero... The, the amount of downforce that you can have, and you could regulate the drag, if you will, or not. I wouldn't regulate the drag. I would just regulate the downforce. Yeah? And you say, okay, as long as your car fits within this box and is, is on the safety regulations, cover all the, tick all the boxes, um, you're fine. Go racing. And you may be able to see different cars. Not like now that you paint them all the same color and it'll be difficult to differentiate them. Uh, and Jake, when it comes to to that, I mean, do you look at it and think that that it makes sense from a technological and enforcement perspective? Because that's obviously the thing. Teams will always try and, not necessarily use the word cheat, but teams will always try and find ways to game the system, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you can have teams trying to exploit little solutions where, I don't know, perhaps on the racetrack, the car does something different to how it is when it's homologated for example you know you see something like flexi wings or something and a team might try and exploit that a little bit but at the same time it's going to be di- very very difficult to do because um you know it's it, it's quite it's quite an interesting solution and um you know you could see teams employing very very innovative solutions if you open up regulations for example you could get something mad like fan cars back or something like that that would be quite an interesting thing as to long see. as he doesn't throw stones of to the course. car behind of course um <laughs> but there is that risk that you know you will have cars as i say doing something different to uh to how it is on and off the track but again that's something for it's not something for us to deal with for example let's say <laughs> well that's an interesting question isn't it that it's uh you know the way a car behaves in the real world and there's all sorts of 
effects you can have the car can for example go in and out of ground effect which yeah, makes, yeah, yeah, yeah. makes a difference so there will be teams looking at ways to, to do it but i guess if you've got a set you can say you've got set conditions where this happens there's only there's only so much that you could do yeah exactly you, you couldn't get 150 percent of what you should have by doing exactly. anything like that could you exactly if you if you regulate the the tests that the teams have to do with the design and the tests are designed so the, 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 the test experiments are designed in a way that you cover most areas and you leave open certain small boxes, then it's fine. I mean, I, I see it workable because today you, you have that problem. Today you have people doing different things and sometimes they're not caught for two, three, four races, sometimes for a year. And, oh, they've been doing this. Oh, look at that. And the rate... The, the, the letter of the regulations, yeah, they cover their letter of regulations, but not the spirit, not not what we meant. Oh, we didn't mean to be able to do that. Well, yeah, but the, uh, Formula One designers are, I wouldn't say they are more intelligent, but they are thinking day in and day out and at night in the solution to go faster and to get an advantage over the other teams, where the regulators go to sleep at night and stop for tea. Yeah. So there's always an advantage being a poacher rather than a gamekeeper, I guess. Is yeah, the way exactly. It. How do you connect that to, to other objectives? Because let's say the, the need to be able to follow clearly, I guess within that you can still have regulations governing the ge- the, the, the geometry of the, the, the arrow, where you can put things, where you can't put things, because that's the key. Although you don't want to make overtaking easy. It's the following that's the, that's the big problem. The, it's the, the, the closeness of one car to the other. Yeah, and... That is proportional to the amount of downforce you generate with the car. You know, you can have components here, there, and everywhere, but it's the overall amount of downforce and the downforce distribution in the car that is, it dictates how close to the other car or how much you are affected by the flow of, of, of the cars around you. So the more downforce you have, the more you get affected. Yeah? So... If you reduce the downforce to a level that a variation can be overcome by the driver taking a couple of risks, then it's fine. But when you go beyond that, which is what we got today, yeah, it doesn't matter what a driver does. He cannot overcome the lack of downforce that he gets. Then you get the, 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 the situation we have today. Where do you stand on the, the argument about there are those who say that if you switch, you move away from top body downforce to more well not bringing background effects it does but skirts that kind of thing you know really push the the underbody absolutely uh, aerodynamics is that the absolutely logical that's the way to go that's the way to go so I would, we, uh, this is always a question why has it not happened i know it's not you i don't know you, but that's the amazing thing I, I really don't know why it doesn't happen because i would sort of get rid of wings yeah and just just leave it to whatever you can achieve with ground effect i mean we got ground effect today I mean, the cars are, are, are working in such a rake that that is ground effect. That's why the cars have got such a rake, is to be able to benefit from that. And you still have a monster front wing and a big rear wing, and, and those are draggy and create turbulence, more turbulence than, than the underbody would create, and it obviously affects the cars around it. So, Jake, we've got reduction of the top body aero. Combined with an aero load, is this beginning to look like a rules package? Uh, certainly, yeah. Um, 
it's going to be interesting if speaking hypothetically of course but uh it would be interesting to see i don't know if you still retain some kind of upper body wings or something like that whether teams would have a look at the downforce distribution say that they're given a prescribed amount be interesting to see whether they just go for flat out downforce to get around the corners better or whether they're anticipating that, that you know they might qualify lower down the field and they know they've got some overtaking to do in the races so whether they would then be able to redress the balance and put a little bit more towards the front to try and help them follow a little bit more easily it would be quite an interesting thing as Sergio says you'd get a lot of variation in design you'd get a lot of teams with different philosophies yeah I mean as long as you regulate the tyres in a sense that they are now yeah is 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 a limit of how far you can go with the weight distribution and the aero distribution before you start not working properly the tyres so that is where the, the cars will converge into a, into a weight distribution, a downfall distribution that works better for the tyres and, and the variation of that. Um, so that's where they will have to work. You'll have to work in the quality of your aeromap more than, than in the amount of downforce you can get. At the moment, you're working on both. Yeah? But if you limit one of the aspects, which is just, I reached the downforce, now I'm going to go for the quality of my aeromap. So where the car can actually work at any right height, uh, in any in any attitude, yeah, and those cars will be better. And I guess it would also make it easier for your tire supplier because they'll know they'll know what the maximum load is going to be because that's always one of the, the challenges. You know, teams at the front generally find it a bit easier to get the tires working because yeah. they've got more load. Yeah, through them, but Pirelli would know if it was Pirelli would know what the maximum load is. Yeah. Although distribution could influence it. That's simplifying isn't it basically yeah 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 so you will save um, uh, research money to everybody mm. yeah. and then is the powertrain that's the next subject but you touch a little bit on it but uh, that is a that is a we can open that kind of worms if you want well i think that's the way we, we should go now yeah down the, <laughs> the, the powertrain which, which is interesting because sort of about for 2021 there was the move basically everyone agreed yeah the mguh goes and then the engine manufacturer said, well, we don't seem to be getting anyone new in. And we actually quite like this technology because we've already created it. So you get this this ongoing argument. But stepping back from that, you know, if, if there was, if they said to you, Sergio, right, what's the, what's the engine package that should be for Formula One? And where does technology, uh, road relevance actually come into that? Because that's a great, depending on, on what argument you take, that's either vital or a great imposter, isn't it? Well, I changed my mind lately. Because I, before I was a, a big advocate of road relevance in Formula One for many years. And lately, since I've been working more for OEMs, I changed my mind a little bit. And I think that uh, Formula One in particular, yeah, not necessarily has to have that road relevance that is expensive and limiting in what the performance of a Formula One can achieve. So I would say Formula One has to find his own way of developing their performance. And if the electric motor is the way to go, then that will be the way to go. But if the internal combustion engine or a combination of both, as we got today, is uh, comfortable for the manufacturers and they like the technology and they already made all the, the huge investments and 
you, the only thing you can do is to start limiting the amount of energy that you can use and reducing that and leave the, the, the components as they are today. Like, for example, the MGUH is a, is, is a prime example. Well, it doesn't do a lot for, um, uh, it doesn't have a lot of road relevance. No, it doesn't. Um, but it's a technology that has been developed, the money's been spent, yeah, and uh, you say Mercedes spent it at the beginning, and now they're just chipping away with that. They got it right from, from the word go. All the other manufacturers are spending fortunes to get it right. And when they're just about to get it right, you're going to ban it. It's a waste of money, a waste of resources. If it already works, leave it. You want to limit the, 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 the sort of the performance of a Formula One engine, limit the amount of energy you can use. And I would leave it there. I would leave it there because, I, I mean, I, I personally like the current Formula One engine, you know, the package or how it works. And it's technology-wise, is complex enough and it addresses a lot of disciplines that engineers can get trained because it touches the electrical side, it touches the, uh, the internal combustion engine, which is still going to be with us for the next few decades. So it's not like it's going to die tomorrow. In the cities, it will, but not necessarily for the rest of the the rest of the the, the mobility industry, if you will. So, carry on having it. What, what's the problem? I mean, the the uh, the CO two contribution of a racing car, of a Formula One car, going around the racetrack for a couple of hours is nothing. It's peanuts. So, you can't say that oh, Formula One is contributing to CO two. No, it's not. You know, contribute to CO2 a lot more. The track that you take from here to Monza with the car inside, that is a contributor. <laughs> Daniel, you're absolutely right to raise the point about the local area pollution rather than net is the more yeah. important thing with uh, what's going on in cities. But, uh, Jake, looking at that, I mean, one way you could, you could do that is if you do have a certain energy budget, which is quite easy to do, that could also allow more variation in technology if, if people wanted it as well, I guess. Certainly, I think F1's at a point now where it needs to decide what it wants to be, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's exactly. the question, yeah. Yeah, and um, obviously Formula E is it, it's about to start its fifth season, it's got a brand new car, it's getting more and more powerful by the day, and perhaps F1 wasn't, was a little bit guilty of not taking it so seriously at the start, but now it's a huge player and it's got Mercedes getting involved, it's currently got Audi and BMW, it's got all of these massive uh, multinational car companies getting involved and Formula One has got, what, four? Um, it needs, as I say, it needs to decide what it wants to be. It needs to decide whether it's going to be a player in driving uh, technology and road relevance or if it's just going to drop everything and say, okay, look, we know that we can't beat Formula E at that. Let's just tighten up the regulations, suggest to engine manufacturers that they can only charge a certain amount for an engine which would perhaps drive the development costs and then it's developing something a little bit more simple something that smaller companies can get involved with and try and drive the sport that way well certainly with current engines failing to cap the the engine deal costs i call it identity formula one has to ref refine again his identity what it what you just said what he wants to be yeah if he wants to be what formula e is that's the wrong way to go because that's what we got formula e today and i wouldn't be too concerned either of how many oems are involved with formula one 
because if Formula One is not the, let's say, road relevance and marketing tool for the car manufacturers that Formula E is, then you just get commercial sponsorship instead of getting the OEMs involved and go back to what Formula One was in the 70s. It was more commercial sponsorship than OEMs uh, pouring money into it. And, and it was a successful sport, and that's what it is. It's sport, it's a spectacle, it's the pinnacle of motorsport, and it needs to remain like that. And if they find their own identity, they find a way to go and attract the people, get the cars that are sort of able to race together and, and close to each other, the top drivers will always want to go to Formula One, and Formula One will carry on being what it always been. And that's what needs to be found. So this is basically the argument that it has to be, that the show is the priority effectively. I would say so, that the show and the sport. It's a sport because you've got sportsmen doing it. Yeah. So as long as you've got a human being driving the car, it's a sport. Yeah. And the spectacle is the other part. And for that, as, as, as we just said, Formula One has to find what it wants to be. And in my view, that's what it, it needs to be, because that's what it's always been. Well, this is the frustrating thing about this process. I mean, Jake, you talked a little bit about what the plan is for 2021. And when Liberty Media got Formula One, as are, well, they, they'll be able to take it in a new direction. I'm a little bit concerned about the lack of, of that vision, where you go down to the, like, your, your founding principle, is like, this is what we want to achieve. Because only when you have a strategy and a thing you want to get to can you really... You know, set your set your path correctly, and there are some, there are some sort of slightly less grandiose objectives in the twenty twenty one rules that are basically in the right direction. But it seems a bit of an opportunity missed because that whole debate that Sergio was just talking about, and you were talking about what F one should be, seems to have been bypassed. Certainly, and a lot of it is, you know, we've seen various news articles from Autosport itself, of course. Um, discussions on what the 2021 rules should be and the main stumbling block is that teams aren't comfortable with it and manufacturers aren't comfortable with it and you're at risk then of you know pandering a little bit because you're trying to make keep everybody happy rather than say look this is these are the rules come and play if you want to but Mm -hmm. it's just there does seem to be a little bit of a power struggle between what Liberty Media wants to do and what regulations it wants to put out, what message it wants to send out, what basically it wants F1 to be and the teams with their current interests and what they think it should be. So it's a little bit of a power struggle in some respects and perhaps that's sort of hindering what for Well, yeah, because everybody will want to stay where they are, particularly the people that are doing well not only winning races, but doing well financially. So they want to stay where they are. Human beings don't want change. Even if change means having a long-term future with, 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 a, good, with a good prospect. So the, you can't ask the inmate to run the jail. There's always been that analogy in motorsport, and we had the inmates running the jail for too long. No, that's, fair. that's very, very true. I mean, Sergio, when you look back at, I mean, you were sort of day-to-day involved in F1 for about 20 years with, with yeah. teams. Obviously, you've retained a, an involvement. Is there a point in that period, so kind of early 80s to early few years of the century when you're with Arrows, where F1 got closest to 
getting it right in terms of what teams were doing, what the rules allowed. I mean, generally, I know the rules have had to get tighter in that period because the, what was once a technology limitation has, has kind of gone away and there's, there's other things governing it now. But is there a point where you can use to, as a reference to say, well, actually, that was the right sort of sort of way? Um, I think the, 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 the peak of Formula One was before I joined. So you made it worse. <laughs> I, I, I don't think, think it was up to me at the time, but uh, the way sort of the, the if you if you think about the uh, the example for me is always the the FW11, the last um, sort of version of the FW11, the Williams and the Brabham, the BT49. I think those were the pinnacle of where we want to go back in terms of Formula One. Those cars were. Um, very advanced technologically at that time. They were still very capable of running close to each other. You had very close racing. Okay, you had Cosworth engines. Everybody had the same. Um, you had uh, tire wars between um, Michelin and, and Goodyear. Um, it, was a diff- it, it was a different time. But in terms of the look of the Formula One cars and how much technology you had, I thought that was just the right, the right balance. And the show was good. And the sport was good. Yeah. Um, then we came with the turbo engines. That was a, um, a consequence of the rules. It wasn't because it was a better technology at the time. It's just the the, the sort of the rule makers didn't actually think that it was possible. Then they left it like that. Well, and they were sat sort of dormant in the rules for quite a long, well, long yes. time before. And then someone sort of picked up the rule book and said, hold on a second, if we do this, we have an advantage. And hallelujah, they did. Yeah, uh, Ground effect developed to a level that it was uh, difficult to to govern with the, with the skirts and all that sort of thing. Um, so that needed to be regulated. Um, but then we started to get more and more uh, the ambition of getting OEMs involved, maybe maybe for the financial point of view, more than the technology. And then that sort of started to transform Formula One and taking it to where it is today, where we're always looking at, oh, we lost another manufacturer. Well, what happens if we don't have manufacturers? You know, leave, leave that to Formula E, leave that to Le Mans which are more akin to what the manufacturers want to develop in terms of technology and let Formula One to be the, the pinnacle of the sport, that little nimble little car that goes as faster than anything else and you need very special skills to actually handle one of those cars. And that is what you want. You want something that not many people can drive. Well, that's the... That's the- what people want to see, doesn't, isn't it? That's, well, exactly. That's, that's, that's the that's heart the, of the show. But that's Formula One. How many people can drive a Formula One car? 20 people in the world. How many people can drive it well? Maybe 10. And that's it. And that's what it needs to be. Yeah, The car's got to be sort of just enough to allow them to do that and to give a good show. One of the other things they're looking at very much for 2021 and beyond is, the, is, is try to create some control components for not, what are non-performance differentiators as they put it although I think they uh, they talk about having 
specific differentiators they want to focus on they do leave open so there's all sorts of versions of what you could do whether you have a standard gearbox for example because that's an expensive thing and there's various components you can argue should or shouldn't be do you think that's a valid path to go or is actually if you control the, the global picture that takes care of itself i think if you control the global picture it will take care of itself and that's why i never i was never sort of uh, convinced by a budget cap so telling people how much money they can spend and leaving the rules as they are because people need to spend the money to make sure that to get an advantage but if you regulate it in a way that it doesn't matter how much money you spend you cannot get an advantage then you stop spending money at least in that you'll have a better motorhome or sort of uh, a, a bigger factory or you just buy a, a, more boats and more planes. What you do with your money is your problem. Yeah? The question is just limiting the, the, the core money to, to design, to build and to run a car so someone who doesn't have the money to buy two planes and three boats can still go racing and can still be, I wouldn't say competitive, but at least get close. Yeah, have the illusion that if they work hard and they, they step by step they got a little bit of the advantage, they can get there. Well, that's the interesting thing, isn't it, Jake? Obviously, you don't need to spend the sums of money that are being spent to make a very fast competitive racing car. And the, because the pace of the cars has been controlled for a while, yes, the cars we've got now are pretty much the fast are the fastest they've been, but not by miles. We haven't seen the the onward progression, so. It's redressing that, isn't it, and getting it so that you don't need to spend two hundred and fifty million or whatever to get the same results. You could spend fifty million, forty million, thirty million. That and that shouldn't really impact the overall show. Absolutely, you see absolutely millions of pounds being pumped into you know race by race upgrades. That they'll take the covers off, and it amounts to what a tiny little fin on the floor, maybe a couple new little strakes uh, around the barge boards or something enough done so much spent so much manpower so much resource on it and for what like i don't know a hundredth of a second performance and i think if you're if you already have the downforce prescribed to you then you then lose the need to do that the only thing that you need to do is you have your package and if as sergio says you have your one more uh iteration of a car per season you look at it and you think okay, the car is good here, but we need to compromise here. Yeah, you're completely just limiting uh, the amount you're spending on little things. Um, You know, it's like the law of diminishing returns, if you like. Um, You know, you get to a certain performance level and then you're chasing tiny little bits of time. And a rule set like this, you wouldn't need to do that. I mean, in in terms of the amount of these changes that are going on, I mean, compare it to, let's say, when you're at Brabham in... uh, um, kind of mid to late 80s how many new aero bits would you bring in during a year it wouldn't be anything like what we're seeing now from yeah, even, the, even the smallest teams no, well but the, the years I spent at Brabham we were not a top team anymore unfortunately um, but uh, we could see what the other teams were doing the McLarens and the Williams at the, the time and Yes, the way developing technologies, like I always make the example of Williams in 1992 when they used 62 floors because the floor was a consumable. Yeah, they used to run them and destroy them. But the floor was the performance differentiator of the car. Yeah, so 
a, 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 a sort of a back of the grid team or a poor team like the one I was working on, we had two floors in the whole year for two cars. <laughs> so by the time we got to the last race, the race, the, the team race, the floor was any, nothing like the original one. So obviously the performance of the car wasn't there either. And you're sort of following your tail. Um, but yeah, in those days, um, it was it was like the different. You didn't bring that many upgrades as you do now. I mean, not race by race. You sort of would bring it to Monaco because it was a special race. You bring some to maybe Montreal because it was a special race. But there were many circuits that were similar to each other in terms of the car you, you needed to run there. So you ran the same car in, in, in those places and, and, and just adjusted. Yeah. Jake, are there any other areas and then directions we've not really looked at in terms of the rules? I mean, the downforce one is quite a good catch-all because it impacts an awful lot. I mean, I guess the rules need to be that complex. Are there other areas that need to be directly attacked? Um, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure. Um, as you spoke about earlier, there was perhaps spec components that weren't, as you say, a massive performance differentiator. And I think there is merit to having... Uh, a single gearbox supplier or merit to having someone specific supply on the suspension wishbone components or something like that. I can see Sergio shaking his head. He doesn't particularly agree with me, but I think, <laughs> I think there's a little bit of merit there, but um, I'll let pass over to Sergio and see. I mean, <laughs> to, to, to what it cost compared with the budget of a team, what the actual car cost the gearbox cost, the brakes, the wishbones, is minimal. It's a small percentage. I mean, the car is between 10 and 20% of the budget to build the actual components of the cars, designing and building the cars. The development is what really costs a lot of money. So, And teams will spend some money on brakes, but not as much as they spend on the winglets and the little bits and pieces and the hours of wind tunnel and CFD they spend. So having common brakes is not going to save an enormous amount of money. I mean, they more or less have common brakes. There are only two or three manufacturers. Yeah. Having a common gearbox, well, everybody runs an extra gearbox as far as I know. They just have a different case, maybe a different arrangement of the gears, but it's, it's as close as you can get from a common gearbox. So you're not going to be saving that much. Uh, the next thing will be, well, do you want to have a common engine? No, I wouldn't. You know, I don't agree with single, sort of everybody having the same car, the same engine, the same everything. I mean, Formula E is a completely different thing. And I saw the merit of what they did at the time. I didn't agree, but I saw the merit later. And But it's a different formula, different outcome, and they got a, dif- a, a, a different target. Formula One should be what Formula One is, I think. Well, you can certainly say the evidence of, of single make outside of Formula One has not has not saved money. I mean, look at the, the cost of Formula One. I mean, you've been involved in Formula Two, well, GP Two as well. So that, that, that just shows that it's it's not it's never that simple, is no. it? No, absolutely not. I mean, I I mean, since I've been since I've been aware, let alone involved in motorsport, it never ever got any cheaper. So, 
And, and the, the prime example is when we went from Formula 3000 to GP2. All of a sudden, the budget were first 50% more and then 100% more within a year. So, no, single make is not the way to go. Mm. Well, that definitely, fortunately, Formula One has sort of moved away from that kind of thing, but they do seem to be looking at, I mean, I mean is there benefit in materials restrictions and that kind of thing, or is that, again, a small bit? For example, let's say the gearbox. Almost all the teams, not quite all, have got carbon casing gearboxes, yeah. which is four or five times the price of a, the cost of a, that's one, but is, yes, that, but is that again the, small beer? The per- small beer, even even being twice or three times more than than cast aluminium or magnesium, is still a small amount of money compared with what is spent in the development of the car during the year and the, 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 the hours of wind tunnel, the design of the wind tunnel and the CFD and the computers and so on. What you what you today spend in carbon fiber and metals and things is is peanuts compared with the budget yeah if i give you 250 million today you'll have you can actually make many 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 cars if you don't spend anything in the development of them yeah very true and let's jake circle around back around to this sort of proposal let's say go with the downforce proposal and you're going to sit down with the teams and say right this is what we're going to we're going to go what what kind of reaction are you going to get from the average Formula One team to to that because this again comes back to the problem of teams getting in the way of of the progress. Well, I can imagine the current status quo at the front, Mercedes and Ferrari, they'd be thinking, okay, we might lose our advantage here because there are teams further down the grid that have very very talented designers. We see how well Force India do with not very much money, but I can imagine designers across the board. You know, your Adrian Newey's are rubbing their hands together with glee at the prospect because they're thinking, okay, brilliant. Uh, I've had all of these crazy ideas and dreams and I can make them a reality. So as long as they fit within the remit of the proposal. So I think it would also give quite a big chance to the small teams. Uh, It would give uh, a lot of chance for a more mixed up order, for the order to be closer. But I think you would encounter a lot of resistance from the more powerful teams on the grid. So it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall uh, if they ever have that meeting and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Just sat there thinking, hmm, interesting reactions. So that would be quite interesting to see. I was When you ask the question, I sort of look at the door and I would have a meeting like that with the door open. So whoever doesn't like it, that's the door. Well, that's that's the interesting point, isn't it? In terms See what of, they can do. What, what else yeah. are you going to do if you're not going to do Formula One? Well, that's the thing from Liberty's perspective, that you want to see them being not too enthralled to the teams and willing. To, you've got to be willing to let someone walk away from that table to get big change done, even, exactly. if, even if it's something like Ferrari. which Even if it's Mercedes or Ferrari. I mean, you have to call their bluff. How many times they said we're going to leave Formula One in the last 65 years? Plenty. Plenty. <laughs> Aren't they still here? Well, that's the thing people have to remember. But Liberty have to remember. Ferrari is important to Formula One, but Ferrari is in Formula One for its own ends as well. It's been, pretty, it's been pretty important to Ferrari. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's part and parcel of what they are. So I would call their bluff. You know, these are the rules. You don't like them? Okay, go and do GP2 or Formula 2 or go and do 
touring cars or GT, go to Le Mans. You know, that's the door. Yeah, it's, it's what you were saying earlier. You find the identity. Once you find the identity of what Formula One wants to be, then that is greater than the players. It's greater than the teams. You know, I heard the other day um, Haas saying that he, he, he feels like he's racing in Formula One and a half. Well, I mean, who told him that he was going to be able to fight for the front row when he joined Formula One? If someone told him that, he's obviously told, was telling him lies. There's no way. Not with that business model. Hmm. Well, that's a, an extreme manifestation of the problem now, isn't it? Because there's always been a few big teams that have dominated, but it's it's getting harder and harder for any team to aspire to, to join that. You know, you've got three teams at the front. Maybe Renault can because they're investing a huge amount, but, but even they've been shocked by how difficult it is originally they said it was five years and then Bob Bell middle of the season said well we're now thinking it was minimum five years because because of the level of these these huge teams well, how long it took is taking them and Honda and even Ferrari to catch Mercedes on the on the powertrain is is because of the technology of today it takes oops sorry it takes a lot longer is 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 more difficult and you've got to sort of regulate Formula One in a way that allow those, the, the, the small teams, to at least allow them to dream. And now they can't even dream. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because if, if, if somebody wants to join Formula One and they say, oh, can, Sergio, can we speak to you about this? You're going to say to them, well, yeah, you've got no chance of getting to the front unless you've got some insane amount of money, billions and, 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 and years as well. To and go. years. Because that's the thing, that legacy time. So, I guess that's the measure, isn't it? That if somebody wants to come into Formula One and can speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about, like yourself, and you say, well, actually, it's not easy, but with a sensible investment over the years, yeah, we can aspire to, to do that. Yeah. I mean, an example of that was Le Mans 10, 15 years ago, when I was involved with Le Mans. You know, you, you, you were developing a small car with a small team. You could buy an engine, you could buy a gearbox, build your own car, do your own development, and they were not too far away from the Audis and the Peugeots because they were not spending a huge amount of money and the regulations were in a way that allows you to at least to dream that you could compete with them. Then, obviously, evolve into what you nearly finish now where you have one manufacturer and privateers are non-existent because the difference between a privateer and a, and a and a uh, OEM is abysmal. Yeah, but that's the, the sort of the rules. We go back to the technical rules is what is taking it into that direction, into that position. So that's what the technical rules has to be thought after properly with a, with a given target. This is what we want. That's where we're going. And design it in a way yeah, that you don't allow it to go away you don't allow it to be necessary to spend too much money on it and all that sort of thing. It's not easy. It's easy to say. You know, here we sit in, in, a, nice, in a nice room and it's easy to say. It's very, very difficult to achieve that. But if you have a target, if that's your objective, that's what you do. If it takes you one year, two years, three years, five years, yeah, 
but you work towards that. Well, Jake, I, got, I mean, at the point we should probably be wrapping up now. There's plenty of uh, interesting talk. But what do you think the chances of, not necessarily even specifically this idea, but more extreme ideas? You know, I guess this this is a an extreme idea in terms of the the direction, the, the change of direction would be. But ideas like this being considered, there's not a great deal of evidence that that, that they're on the table, is there? Um, Formula One, we know, is a very it's a very conservative sport. It's it always has been, and Liberty Media have come in uh, with a very fresh perspective on things. But even they're finding Formula One's sort of ways of sticking to the status quo a little bit stifling in a way. And I think somebody needs to come in and just say off the bat, okay, this is what's going to happen. But I don't think anyone's brave enough to do it because they're afraid of losing what they currently have. So it would be awesome to see it. I just think, yeah, it's it's quite unlikely with things as they are, I'm afraid. Do you agree with that, Sergio? I mean, short of F1 getting you in and say, right, Sergio, we like this idea, make it, make it happen. I mean, do you think that is this just a fanciful idea to have? It uh, probably is. But as you said, you need to be brave. And in this day and age, if you've ever, if you're not brave, you stay where you are. So... And I think the Formula One today, it, let's say FOAM and the FIA, has got much better people than they had in the past from the technical point of view. Yeah, they're getting better and better. So they should be able to draw rules without having to ask the teams and the manufacturers what you want because you're asking the wrong person. Yeah. And we all know what we want. The public knows some public may not know what they want, but if you show them, they will say, wow, that's what I wanted to see. Yeah, they may not be able to grasp the concept of what they want to see, but when you show them, yeah, three, four cars running together, finishing, you know, being able to overtake each other uh, in, in a more sort of like the old days. I'm, I hate to say the old days because obviously I'm always looking forward, but having that close racing, yeah, then the guy in the grandstand will or the TV will all of a sudden say, wow, that is a spectacle. That's what I want to see. So you bolt them to the seat, either the, the, the grandstand or the, or, or the armchair in front of the TV and watch the whole race because the whole race is exciting. You know, and motorsport has to be exciting. It's not just the noise. It's not just one car overtaking another. It's that closeness of cars running together. No, and it's impossible to argue with any of that. I think uh, <clears throat> I think even those at Formula One would uh, would accept that. It's all a question of uh, of how to get there. Well, thanks very much, Sergio, for your insights, and thanks very much, Jake, as well, for your uh, for your comments. Please head to autosport.com for all the latest news on Formula One and the world of motorsport, and check out our Plus subscriber area for in depth features and articles, columns from the world's leading motorsport writers. Please check out Sister Titles F1 Racing Magazine out monthly and motorsport.com. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. 
See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino style games to choose from, you too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.